Monday, March 15th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me today, Mr. Jason Moser. Good to see you. Good to see you. How's everything? Uh, you know, I got coffee. I'm good. <laughs> yeah. I'm good. Well, you know, need a little extra coffee when it's uh, when it's post-daylight savings. I understand. Uh, we're going to talk about travel stocks. We're going to talk a little bit about mindset because that is... Uh, increasingly important for investors. But we're going to start with a little portfolio rebalancing. Standard & Poor's announced that four stocks are going to be joining the S&P 500. NXP Semiconductors, Penn National Gaming, Generac Holdings, and Caesars Entertainment. So, if if you have a basket of casino stocks, uh, happy birthday to you with uh, (laughs) Penn Penn National and and Caesars. Um, You know, this is one of those things, Jason, that I I feel like the conventional wisdom is wrong, because the conventional wisdom that I hear about stocks being added to the S and P five hundred is ah it doesn't really matter, and I get that it doesn't affect the underlying business, but I think it actually does matter. I think like I think I I think it goes in the plus column if all of a sudden companies that you own shares of are added to. This massive index that all of these index funds are based on. I, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I know that. Yeah, I think in the long in the long run, we probably say it's not that big of a deal, um, or, or many would say it's not that big of a deal. But but generally speaking, I think it is a big deal too, and I think it's it's for a number of reasons. But but among others, I mean, it, you're you're part of this. I mean, we could call it a quasi-exclusive club. I mean, they're not putting laggards in the S&P. Uh, now, there are laggards in the S&P, and, and so that's why they rebalance it quarterly. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I think it's a sign that your business is is of, of a certain quality uh, that they feel comfortable in, in putting you uh, in in that sort of exclusive club. And so, I mean, if, if you look at the S&P, I mean, the origin of the S&P 500, it goes back to, all the way back to 1923. I mean, this this thing has, has been a, around for a while, the, the S&P uh, 500 in, in some form. Uh, the S&P 500, as we know it now, was introduced in 1957. Um, but ultimately, as I mentioned, there is rebalancing every quarter, um, ultimately, this is rebalancing based on the work of a committee. Uh, the committee, I believe, meets every month, and they they assess uh, the businesses, the situation, um, how how these these companies are doing. They they try to um, be deliberate and and not willy nilly uh, companies in and out of the index. I mean, they they do try to keep turnover low, uh, but there are points in time where. Uh, Longer-term trends become a little bit more obvious. Businesses that are winning in uh, those particular spaces become a little bit more apparent. Um, I think that when you look at these businesses that are making that step into the S and P, I can see these these long-term trends. I mean, NXP semiconductors. I mean, let's talk about 5G, the rollout of technology, mobile, wireless. I mean, that that plays right into that. Uh, Penn National Gaming. I mean, come on. We're talking about sports betting first and foremost. That's going to be a massive opportunity. Uh, and Penn's certainly making a lot of investments in that space. Generac Holdings. Uh, listen, that's that's energy, right? Caesars Entertainment, another kind of uh, Penn, Penn National Gaming story. So, I, I, I certainly see um, why they're moving in. When you look at the businesses that are moving out, uh, they're just just less than impressive at this point. I mean, it's not to say they're bad businesses, but they're just better options out there. You got Flowserve moving out, 
SL Green Realty moving out, Xerox moving out, another one that everybody knows, Chris, Vontier. I mean, hey, everybody knows Vontier, right? No, nobody knows Vontier, Chris. <laughs> nobody at all. <laughs> so, I, I think, uh, generally speaking, uh, you know, I, I would be feeling really good if my company was was uh, added to the S&P 500 index. I'd imagine these executive teams uh, maintain a, a point of pride with this, and um, it'll be interesting to see how they perform from here. I will just point out, yes, you know, we're seeing a little boost to, to the stocks uh, going into the S&P 500 today. Penn National Gaming, that stock is up more than 1,400% in the past 12 months. That's an yeah. insane ride up. So, it, uh, it, you know. it has been a big, yeah. That's 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 just a, the long-term trend exemplified right there. I mean, a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of excitement. Um, in that entire space, and, and I absolutely understand it. Let's move on to travel, and there are really two bits of news here I wanted to get your thoughts on. Um, the first is in the carnival industry, where uh, Arnold Donald, who's the CEO of Carnival Cruise Line, said in an interview he thinks it's going to be at least two more tough years for the cruise industry. Um, it really thinks it's going to be 2023 uh, before that business bounces back to where it was before the pandemic. Um, you couple that with air travel. Um, on Sunday, TSA screened more than 1.3 million passengers just on Sunday. Now, that is still about 40% below the levels that they were screening in 2019. But it's the fourth day in a row of over a million people being screened for air travel. Um, and when you look at what's happening with airline stocks today, the, you know, the, the rise sort of across the board, there's obviously a lot of optimism there. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm surprised at the fact that Carnival Cruise Line shares are up a little bit. I'm assuming it has a little bit to do with the old saw that the market hates uncertainty and you know, one way to look at the CEO's comments are there is a light at the end of the tunnel. I would just point out that the tunnel doesn't appear until 2023. <laughs> well, and I mean, to your point there in, in regard to uncertainty, I mean, just the idea that Carnival leadership believes that they're going to be around uh, to see 2023. I mean, that, and, and I really, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that uh, facetiously. I mean, I, I really. There was a time here where we were wondering would these cruise liners even really be able to make it. I mean, we're having that discussion um, often, and so that they feel comfortable enough to make that assessment, I, th I think, is part of it. Um, it. It's really interesting to look at the differences in travel. You know, we're talking about airlines and talking about cruise lines, and and I think <clears throat> the difference with with cruises, and I think. With cruises, you know, you've got a situation where it, it, it's it's two things that are going to be working against them. I think it, to an extent, in that it is it is global, right? So I mean, you're talking about some areas are going to be better than others, right? Some areas are going to are going to be better than others, and, and and that that'll be that'll be fine. But their market opportunity in regard to where they're going to be going is probably going to be somewhat limited uh, for the foreseeable future. I mean, it does feel like things are rolling out here domestically better than than uh, in, in other places around the world. But the other thing that struck me in regard to cruise liners, and, and I've never been on a cruise, so this is just, I fell victim a little bit just to the stereotype. But then I looked up the data, really, to see if I could back up the stereotype, Chris. 
the old joke is that cruises are for old people, right? I mean, that's kind of what, that's kind of the, the, you think about cruises, you think about older folks playing shuffleboard, and, and maybe you grew up in the time of the love boat like you and I did, where uh, that, that painted a little bit more of a, uh, a romanticized version of young people enjoying those cruises. But, but in all honesty, there is something to the age thing here when it comes to cruises. And so, I looked up some of this, some of this data just, just to get a better idea. And according to Cruise Lines International Association, uh, they have a global passenger report. Now, this one, this one is back in 2018, but these trends are relatively consistent. The average age of the cruise passenger was 46.7 years old, and that's been pretty steady over the past uh, several years. But it's it's interesting when you start breaking down the age demographics of of a cruise and how many people are going on cruises. If you look at the ages, 33 percent. Of those passengers, of all passengers, were were 60 years and older. If you add 50 years and older to the mix, then that number goes to 51 percent. And the reason why that matters, if if it's not obvious, I mean, when we look at the data from from COVID-19, clearly it is a virus that impacts older folks more so. 80 percent of the deaths. Uh, are 65 years and older. So the the simple the simple uh, calculus there is if you're older, you need to be more worried. And I think that probably keeps people uh, on the mainland for a little while longer before they feel comfortable taking that taking that chance to go out uh, onto a cruise. Now maybe maybe the vaccine uh, does mitigate some of that some of that uh, uncertainty, some of that. Uh, Caution, right? Maybe folks feel a little bit better about doing it once they've been vaccinated. I mean, I'm speaking to my mom and dad. I mean, they've they've gotten their shots, and man, they feel they feel great about it, right? I mean, they 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 don't really feel too worried. And my father's a physician, so I kind of take that uh, you know to, to heart. Uh, so maybe maybe as folks get vaccinated, they feel uh, ready to get on out there and, and do things like cruises. But there's no doubt that cruise liners are um, are dependent on on older folks uh, to 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 keep those boats afloat, so to speak. And, and if half of your uh, customer base is, is going to be on the fence as far as, as taking a cruise anytime soon, I understand that 2023 uh, timeline. Maybe maybe he's also just being conservative there. Um, I think probably probably that would make a lot of sense if, if, if they were just being a little bit more conservative. If we didn't see better numbers before 2023, I, I kind of feel like we will, but you know, I could be wrong. With respect to the airlines, I feel like as a group, they do a, a pretty good job in terms of tweaking the pricing of airline tickets. They're pretty yeah. nimble when it comes to that. In terms of um, the growth of the airlines themselves, am I right in thinking that new orders is a metric to keep an eye on? Because you know, you hear a lot of talk from these airlines in terms of capacity. Um, not all of them have opened up every seat available within the plane. So, that's a, a, a lever they can pull. Um, they can increase the number of flights per day. You know, But it seems like if you're thinking about the longer term health for some of these airlines, I, unless I'm, I'm missing something, I haven't seen anyone come out and say, and we're so optimistic about the future that we've put it in order with Boeing or Airbus for um, you know 50 new planes. Yeah. Um- I mean, I think it's it's certainly a metric to to follow. I I I I I kind of feel like right now the airlines have have so many issues going on. I mean, 
as as long as the fleet is is okay, like as long as the fleet is somewhat modern um, and and uh, and safe, they're probably going to try to delay those orders a little while to be able to get the rest of the house in order. Um, when things become a little bit more certain, then I think they can make those types of decisions with a little bit more confidence. But right now, airlines have been in the headlines for a lot of reasons. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, definitely one thing to keep in mind, but I mean, I, I think definitely, I mean, I mean, looking at the passenger traffic, ultimately it's going to be that, that passenger traffic is going to be really what dictates what these airline leadership teams do. And it does seem like, uh, it does seem like that trend is improving for airlines. Um, We'll probably see a little bit less business travel uh, on a permanent basis from this, but I don't. I don't subscribe to the notion that business travel is just going away. I think a lot of people actually really want to get back to it, um, and I think a lot of people are ready to get back to vacation travel. Um, and again, I think the difference between cruises and airlines is uh, on a cruise you're. you're Confined to that kind of one area, airlines you have a lot more options, right? Airlines can get you get you all sorts of places to go do other things. Um, so I, I it, it would make sense to me that the, the airlines that that air traffic would would start trending upward before the cruise liners did. Um, it, it does feel like, again, back to what we were talking about with cruise liners. There are going to be some places that are that are better than others, right? It's going to be kind of like real estate, a real estate location, location, location. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna travel to some places, other places you're probably not going to want to travel to for a little while longer, and so that'll impact uh, some decision making. But generally speaking, um, it, it it it's it does feel like at this point, given what we know, it's going to be really difficult uh, to get people to to stop traveling at this point. I mean, I think the enthusiasm, the optimism, uh, there, there are reasons to feel like things are getting better. Uh, pe- people are feeling a lot more confident about, about making plans now. Um, it, it, and as a side note, it, I, it was interesting. I was looking at a couple of stocks that we follow in our universe um, it, just to see how they've performed over the last 12 months and year to date. It's really been kind of astounding uh, to look at TripAdvisor and Booking.com, I think two very good indicators of sort of the sentiment when it comes to travel. Um, I know the headlines have always focused on Airbnb, but when you look at TripAdvisor and Booking.com, TripAdvisor over the last year, over the last twelve months, the stock is up two hundred and sixty plus percent. Booking.com up almost seventy percent, both outpacing the market nicely. If you look at it just year to date. TripAdvisor's up almost 120 percent, and Booking.com a little bit a little bit less than 10 percent. But but you just you, you see that's that's a bit of a sentiment gauge, I think. Um, maybe not a perfect one, but at least it it can give you give you something else to look at. Our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com. Got a note from Will Hess in Richmond, Virginia. He writes, I got into stocks close to the crash in 2020, and my experience is completely messed up since just about everything was going up. Now it seems like there's a 3% drop followed by a 4% increase each day. Are the market up uh, ups and downs always this dramatic? I'm still following the long-term fool philosophy, but why is the market almost rewarding day trading now? <laughs> I know you don't have all the answers, but I would like some insight. Uh, thank yeah. you for that, Will. Um, yeah, we've we've talked about people like Will, yeah. like we, like can you, uh, all the new investors who have 
you know, gotten into the market in the past year and just sort of like, and I, that's one of the reasons I like Will's email because it, it sort of confirms what we've been thinking about people like Will, which is like, boy, it's got to be kind of weird for those people who <laughs> just started investing in March of 2020. And it's like, yeah, everything I touch turns to gold. <laughs> Easy money, right? Um it it certainly is has been a heck of a year, and it is worth remembering that stocks do go down. I've seen it, I've witnessed it, I've felt the pain as you have uh, too, Chris. And, and the longer that you do it, the, the more you uh, the the more you become witness to that. And I, and I think that so first and foremost, generally speaking, no, I don't think this type of volatility, this type of of daily movement, is something that you should expect. Um, over the long haul and in normal times. I think one thing you can look at, uh, we talk about the volatility index, the VIX, V-I-X. So, that's a, it's a, it's a real-time market index. Ultimately, re- represents the market's expectations for volatility in the coming month. Um, and if you, look at the, if you look at the chart of the VIX, I mean, ultimately, when Investors, when when fear and uncertainty are are rampant, you see the vex uh, the vix index move up, and and then when uh, when when things are a little bit more calm, the the vix falls. And so, if you look at the last five years of the vix, just look at a chart of the last five years. I mean, you can clearly see over the last year, it's been exceptionally more volatile than it has been for the four previous. Um, and, and I mean that that makes a lot of sense given what we've been going through. I, I think it's probably fair to say that technology has opened up uh, investing in day trading uh, to to folks that never would have uh, tried it before. Uh, there there are all sorts of financial instruments out there that um, have increased liquidity. So it's understandable to see these types of moves, and and it, I I don't know the data behind this, but it sure feels like there are a lot more. Uh, growth-style companies out there right now pursuing these nascent markets where they they are growing but they're not profitable, right? And 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 they've got valuations where forty times sales is is kind of normal for a lot of these companies, and and that's that's a bit odd to see. I mean, price to sales kind of feels like the new price to earnings in many cases, and that that's a bit that's a bit worrying. Um, but but yeah, I think that generally speaking. As longer-term investors, it's it's about focusing on the business, not the stock price, and understanding that the stock price is not always necessarily indicative of how the business is doing. And then making sure that you understand that volatility uh, really ultimately is is the investor's friend. I mean, for the long-term investor, for the net buyer of stocks, which is kind of what we are, right? We're looking to buy more stocks than we sell. Uh, volatility is is going to be your buddy. And I mean, it just reminds me of that old Warren Buffett quote that he says, "You pay a very high price for a cheery consensus. It won't be the economy that will do in investors. It will be the investors themselves." Uncertainty is actually the friend of the buyer of long-term values. And so I think it's always worth remembering that mindset, focusing on that longer, uh, longer game as as we like to do. It's it it I know some folks think it it could be kind of a cop out, but it absolutely isn't. It really does work. It just takes time in to actually see those results materialize. But once you see them materialize, trust me, you'll be a believer. And in the meantime, Will. Get outside, take a walk down to ZZQ, which is a phenomenal barbecue joint in Richmond, oh, and uh, and have yourself a nice meal.
Because because you know what? You can afford it. If you started investing in March of 2020, <laughs> yeah. you yep. can afford to pay for a good meal at CZQ. Keep Jason Moser, well. always good talking to you. Thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about on The Motley Fool, may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.